Hello and welcome to the final Nine and Fiverr episode of 2023. And uh, as I guess is now traditional, uh, traditional for us and traditional for just about every other news current affairs program in, in the known universe. We're going to look back on the year that was and um, also look forward to the to the new year to come and uh, kind of review what we looked at and um, uh, make some poorly or perhaps excellently informed uh, predictions for the year to come. And in the context of excellent predictions, I'm just going to read out a short quote that um, I believe was written by my by my colleague and partner here, uh, Joel. Um, and uh, as I well, our prediction, and I suspect actually probably more Joel's prediction, if I'm completely yeah. honest, for um, 2023. And here's the quote. So speaking of what's next, we look ahead to 2023 and what we predict will be the top story for the beginning of the year, at least. Our suspicion is that Doug Ford's Greenbelt troubles are only starting, and this will prove to be an even larger scandal as more and more details become known. Well, is 100% correct, and then there's 100% correct. I don't know, Joel, uh, <laughs> what kind of percentage of correct do you reckon that diction was? Uh, uh, well, I, I don't want to toot my horn that loudly, but yeah, I mean, that that was, that came true. Um, I mean, and credit where credit's due. I, I, in t I would love to say it was all us, but it was a, a hunch that paid off. But the real people who did the, the, the heavy lifting and the hard work and the the journalistic bona fides um or the fine people at at the narwhal who uh they had a great year-end article where they just summed the whole story this year up but uh mm mcintosh and uh, and atima said at the uh, at the narwhal have done a fantastic job of just being a dog with a bone on this one and just not letting it go and uh as well the other the other side of that the we had on um uh, Tim Gray from Environmental Defense talk about their ongoing lawsuits to get this stuff uh, to light, and they were the other kind of side of this this uh, project that just showed really just how let's let's be honest, let's call it a spade a spade, corrupt and incompetent. This government came on the on the housing file. Um, the idea that they were in bed with developers to open up large swaths of the green belt, despite the fact that they promised all of us, not just the 95, but across the product, they wouldn't touch it. They did. They not only touch it, they meddled around with it. They messed it up. They, they were, everything about it was just crooked and unseemly and just done wrong. Thankfully now, thanks to, um, articles in, in the narwhal and, and to the good people at environmental defense, the government has been forced to basically retract everything that they've done on the green belt, because that's what happens when you get your hand caught in the cookie jar. Uh, they, they had, they had no other game to play. There's no way you could save it. There's no way you could re reimagine the, the policy or the process. It was just crooked from day one and they got caught in it. I mean, this is, this is a, Dare I say it? I mean, this is like a, a, I don't like saying gate, but this is like a Watergate level of corruption. Like this is just, it, it, every new door you open, every piece of paper you found, it just showed more and more corruption or incompetence on the part of the government to, to basically give over the green belt to 
not not a, I'm not saying all developers, a select few developers. That's that's the even the greasier part of it is that it's just entirely a backroom deal. So yeah, I mean when I when I made that claim that I suspect it was going to be this big, not really. I, I thought it was just going to be a scandal that was just going to keep going for a few weeks. But the fact that it was just it was about as corrupt as corrupt can be. Um I, I was a little surprised at that, I'll be honest. Um but man, oh man, like that this is this is I, I every time we, we you look on it, I look and say, this has got to be the biggest corruption story, not in Ontario history. I'm I'm gonna put it up there as in Canadian history. Uh, just the level of corruption that was uh, unveiled here. I think it's right up there in terms of good old-fashioned corruption as we understand corruption. You know, you can, you can say there are bigger things that have happened in Canadian history that are outrages, that are more outrageous. And obviously you could talk about the, the uh, treatment of the First Nations and uh, things like that. But that's a different kind of wrongdoing, if you like. Um it's not definitely not an excuse. Definitely, definitely not an excuse. But many of the people involved in say, in what amounted to, in many ways, if not entirely, to a attempt at genocide, thought they were doing good. I mean, does that give them any get out of jail? No, it doesn't. But this is people knowingly acting uh, to line the pockets of friends. Uh, uh, you know, just allies, whatever, in the most kind of venal and obvious way. I mean, it's not complicated. They can they can deny it, but I mean, it's like really, it's just right there for everybody to see. And and I think I mean I haven't gone back and checked the actual what we actually said in the episode this time last year, but I suspect that if I could predict, I probably had a more jaundiced view of whether this scandal would kind of get. Um, traction and the reason was that there had been other scandals as far as we're concerned that had come and gone with remarkably little attention that's like i don't i don't see anybody being able to kind of get again get the traction um uh in this story it just seems that you know they can do what they like and people are like yeah whatever mm -hmm. it's fine um um but this one, for whatever reason, did catch the public imagination. I think, I mean, partly it caught the public imagination because it is such, it's like old school. This is like old school corruption. You know, it's like men in smoking cigars and, you know, it, it like it has, yeah. it reeks of that kind of backroom yeah. uh, stuff. So it's easy to grasp in some ways. This is, this is old Tammany Hall corruption. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I do think just the, the, it shows once again what can happen when, um, Decent uh, journalism is done by somebody, and it's notable that it didn't come from the Globe or the Star. Um, it came from the Narwhal. Um, and also activists, good old-fashioned activists, um, really uh, people who are not going to get you know rich or build huge reputations on the back of this, but just really believe in, in the cause. And, uh, you know, again, we've spoken to environmental defense and they, they've done uh, incredible work, I think. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, in so far as the official opposition or the the not so official opposition had much role to play in this, 
they, they were, I mean, I really feel they, they were Johnny come lately and it really pissed me off actually when the NDP kind of when, when this all really hit the big time that the NDP were kind of claiming credit, you know, when, when, when the, the, the province reversed everything, it's like, yeah, well, thanks. You know, we did this together. And it's like, I don't think we did do it together with you. I think well, other organizations did it together. Well, that, I mean, this is, this is, I, I, you're right. I think this, this story is primarily a, this is, this is a grassroots story. I mean, this is clearly the government did something. They did it secretly. They did it behind, like, behind closed doors it was done they knew and the reason why we know that they were doing it secretly and they were doing it wrong is that they reversed it when you're caught doing something wrong and you have no and there's no justification for it it's not even a matter of like you know it people don't like it but we think it's right so we're going to push ahead you know you did it wrong you know you know there's no defense of it and the reason why we know that is that they reversed it it's done like there's there's all the protections are back in place and that's because they got caught. And how they get caught? It was because of grassroots. It was the people. This is what happens in a democracy is you do not like what your government is doing and you say, I want answers. This was a failure on, on you're right, on mainstream media and kind of the, the opposition parties. The normal small independent journalism doing great work, grassroots uh, environmental organizations wanting to get answers to questions that they have. Again, they were just a dog with a bone on this and they did not let it go. And we've got the answers. And this, this is, you know, it's kind of that old school journalism, uncovering corruption, you know, that, that, that progressive era of, uh, uh, of, of journalism that that's going on here. And it's refreshing to see. And it's, it's, it emboldens me that, you know, the people are ticked off and they're angry. And there is something about the, kind of the elites are just out of touch that it, it kind of, to me, it, it connects into that broader sense that I feel is happening with people is that the ones at the top have no idea what's going on at the bottom. They have no idea what the priorities are for those of us who are on the ground living our lives day to day, that the environment climate change are important to us. We want to protect it. And we want a new way of doing things going forward. And instead we have Queens Park, both opposition and the government kind of out of touch with what's, what's happening on the ground. The Toronto Star and the Globe and definitely the National Post, Post Media have no clue what to report. They have their own agendas that they're, they're, circ they're circulating through and the rest of us are kind of out of touch with, with what they want. We, we just don't care. We have our own concerns. And quite frankly, I think our concerns are more valid, more important, and should be top priority for those in power. And that's why I kind of like this story a lot, is that it was the people kind of taking back that power and saying, no, this is not a priority for us. We're not going to sit back and just let it roll back and say, oh, you know, well, you know, those, those bozos at Toronto and Queens Park just screwed it again. No, we're not taking anymore. A line's a line. You said you were not going to touch the green belt, put it back. You got caught. Um, that, that, and that's, that's ultimately the crux of the story, I think is why, why this is so, so happening. I'm, I suspect there's going to be more to it as we go on in the next few years. There's, there's going to be ties back to this, but this is something that will hang around Doug Ford and his government's head for the rest of time. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, if we look back at the, the, the liberal years, it always comes back to you want to, you want to talk about why they ultimately 
lost, while ultimately they were kicked out, it always comes back to that gas plant story. Um, the whether or not that was ultimately what forced forced them from power, that saw them people vote them out, that was the kind of mental turning point, even though it was almost, I don't know, it's getting on for a decade, almost after the scandal, by the time they actually lost, that was kind of mentally people's like, okay, these guys are bums. Now, whether rightly or wrongly, and then I would, I could talk all day about why a huge part of that story was was unfair. Um, you know, and my biases being that I was involved with that party at the time that that was happening. But um, uh, the you know, in the in the mind of the population, whether it's rightly, wrongly, or otherwise, that was the turning point. And I feel like, like, even if Doug Ford wins the next election, this is still something that's going to be coming back. This is something that's mm-hmm. going to dog them um, for um, for the the remainder of their time, uh, however long that might be. Um, it, it, you know, why don't we? Move it it on focuses to- people's people's ire. You know, the people who yeah, really yeah. don't like them. It's like. Now it's like, why don't you like this? Them? Is just well, you just can't you Green can't Bell. kick this yeah. you can't kick this free, and there'll, there'll be a reason. We're gonna we're gonna come back to this thought later in the episode, folks, because we're gonna do a kind of a predictions for twenty twenty four, and this is gonna be a theme that we're gonna revisit. But so stick around to the end of the episode, folks. But moving on, uh, let's the other story that we thought was uh, a, a top a top notch story for the hit for the year. And that's the the fact that the federal government finally getting off its behind and getting into the housing housing game for a number we've I, I can't remember how many times we've had on Mike Moffat to the podcast, but we had Mike Moffat on a couple times, Jennifer Keysmat uh, from uh, on, on as well to talk about as well as uh, Michelle Bielek, uh for the Ontario Coalition and Poverty, and we've all we were all talking about. The housing crisis. How do we how do we get more housing built to meet that demand that's there? And all three of them from very different backgrounds. One economics professor. One is in the development business. The third is a grassroots poverty activist. All three of them said, uh, "Get the HST off of new rental bills. That's the biggest barrier to getting affordable rentals built in the pro- in the in the country." And we've been like we've been. Just hearing that from all over, just very different parts of the of uh, of the zeitgeist, I guess. But to finally see the government get off its butt and say, "Okay, we're going to remove the HST off new rental bills," and they seem to be actually getting involved in this and actually putting the plans forward, it's refreshing to see. Um, I think the fact that they only did it, quite honestly, is because Pierre Poyev took that housing file and ran with it. Uh, it was his, it's his sort of now. I mean, I think that I think we're starting to see that getting more towards the federal government now, and Pierre's a little bit less chipper on that that front. But I mean, you give Pierre Poyer credit where it's due. That man lit a fire underneath this government's butt to finally do something on the housing file. So you know, kudos to Pierre. Uh, you know, there I said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I guess um, that is the role of the opposition, right? Uh, that you 
you pressurize the government and in an ideal world that pressure brings about good things uh, i guess um uh, i've really struggled to 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 give him any kind of credit but yeah i mean uh, I, I credit for the government for actually doing something that people were asking for and I, again it does show that you know when when politicians listen to people good things can happen and, and hopefully the the predictions that the hst could have a major effect on uh the more affordable end of the the housing market will prove to be true it's why not happen overnight you know that that's that's the problem with all of this and that that um you know, if if someone, as a result of that HST change, is like, oh, we'll consider building affordable housing. Well, that process is now just starting in the very earliest days, and that will take five to ten years to start feeding through mm-hmm. into the actual housing market. So, you know, the the you know the housing picture is a kind of oil tanker you know that the the metaphor we use for all kinds of other things of an oil tanker sort of slamming on the brakes and trying to turn around you know we've just slammed on the brakes we're gonna have to wait a long time for that tanker to start turning um but you know that's just the story of housing i guess and and really the the tragedy uh is that so much time has been wasted so you know by the province um in, in in its complete ineffectuality um uh, you know we're just throwing away time and, and the same goes for just the, the environment the same goes for so many other things that their incompetence and their veniality it's just throwing us years behind in 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 all kinds of issues that we don't have time to waste uh you know right. uh, dealing with uh, so yeah uh, that's frustrating but uh, you know, in, in my criticism of the federal government would be that the, the that they've been so damn modest uh, in their uh, ambitions since 2015. Um, so this is good. I mean, but could we have seen more? Uh, yeah, I mean, really, housing is not their. It's not really their their patch, right? And you know, another theme that we've seen repeatedly and i think we'll come on to this again later in the episode is is the you know the, the province screws something up so the feds come in to sort it out which is great i guess but that's not how the country's supposed to work um and if all you're doing each time the province makes a screw up is uploading those costs and those responsibilities to the federal government mm-hmm. then we're kind of in trouble uh, particularly when you know, good chance the next prime minister is a fucking stupid little shithead, um, <laughs> most odious creep in Canadian history before he's even in government. Um, you know, God help us. Um, anyway, that's another story for another day. But <laughs> that it is. <clears throat> I don't like Mr. Polyev. I don't know if anybody's noticed. <laughs> well. Oh, that's a. I mean, that's an episode for another. Yeah, another episode. Cause I, I, I don't know if anyone who actually likes him, they don't like Trudeau, but I've never heard of anyone say, "Yeah, I actually like Pierre." Um, but that might be a whole episode for another. For twenty twenty four, we we just don't mix in the right circles, Joel. Maybe. You know, this is the problem that maybe like we we don't hang out 
with with the with, no with the with the with the fuck Trudeau people, you know. We, we hang out with the, the fuck Polly F people. Yeah, but it's not, it's not even it's not even that. It, it's I like to think I have a wide swath of people in my life that have a variety of different opinions and, and backgrounds and whatnot. I've never heard of anyone speak of Pierre as like, yeah, he is the he is the solution we need. I am so excited. I like him. I want to hang out with him and I just want to be around him and I want to be, you know, he's cool. Don't hear that. I hear people complain like the, like the federal government's not doing enough. We need to change in that thing. And that's a legitimate concern beef to have, but I just, I don't, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I've never heard of anyone excited about Pierre who actually think he's a nice guy, that he's somebody that you're like, you know what? I, he, I, he, he's got a, he's going to be a nice, he's a nice guy that's going to put me forward. I've never, I've never heard anyone say that. Now you're right. Maybe we're just in the wrong, completely the wrong circles, but, um, I mean, but again, give him credit where it's credits due. He's driven the Trudeau government to put a lot of eggs into the housing basket. And I'm curious to see what's going to come next, what's going to happen next. You know, who knows by the next time that the next federal election comes around, uh, Pierre might be having to go to a different page in the playbook to, uh, to, to bash Trudeau. So we'll see what happens. What's next in our, on our plate? Well, uh, again, this is related to housing. I mean, everything's related to housing. And uh, I guess it comes back to our theme on this podcast about, you know, the interrelatedness of all things. Um, but it's the ideological stuff, a theme this year mm-hmm. um, coming out of the province um, uh, was the you know, the attacks on um, trans students, uh, the kind of dogma about, that the teachers are trying to indoctrinate our children as if they haven't got better things to do with their time. Um, and, you know, and where did that come from? You know, Doug Ford hasn't, one thing you can say about Doug Ford in his first sort of term and a half, he's not really an ideological guy. He's just, you know, he's, he's not about the dogma. He's about just running the country and being Doug Ford. Um, that's where he is different from a from a Polyev or or, or even a Harper. Um, he's you know he's not a guy with a big brain who really gives you know you don't get the sense he's a big religious guy or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But what happens when conservative uh, politics fail, which they do, um, uh, and when conservative governments are incompetent, it's like, well, okay, so the policies have failed. So what do we do now to get support? Well, let's attack some minority that everybody that we like wants to attack. Uh, so it's like go after trans students, go after teachers to an extent, um, go after, um, you know, go after people who can't actually defend themselves. Um, and create an ideological war, create a a sort of moral panic, uh, and that's what we saw Doug Ford doing this year with uh, uh, you know with the increasing number of attacks on mm-hmm. uh, you know what are teachers up to in our classrooms and all this kind of baloney. Um, which um, I can tell you what teachers are up to in their classrooms, and that's trying desperately <laughs> to teach your stupid children how to. F- fucking do the basics 
excuse the language I'm coming out with today, but it's, it's early in the morning and I'm kind of, you know, feeling a bit irritable. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I mean I, that's of all the things we've seen this year, that annoys me even worse than the corruption of, of the green belt. It's like going after people, uh, the weakest in our society, the people who are least able to to defend themselves, and and, and baking, you know, basically feeding into mm-hmm. an absolute lie. The teachers want to force some agenda uh, of, you know, transsexuality right. onto your children. I mean, it's just garbage. It's a fucking lie again well, with the f bombs. But um, you know, just screw you, Doug Ford. Well, yeah, I mean that—that's the. Uh, we have had two. We did a few episodes on the on this matter. When one we had on uh, former Premier Kathleen Wynne uh, to discuss the matter, uh, which was was insightful. But the, the need, why we need to ensure that trans kids are protected and feel safe and secure, uh, and able to use their pronouns as they wish in our schools. Uh, that was, and that was a very insightful episode. I thought the other episode that I thought was, uh, you know, my own toot, this is my time to toot my own horn was, um, just going to the, that million parent or million person March that was not a million people, but basically protesting outside of school boards, uh, to, again, to your claim of there's a conspiracy in our school boards and our teachers and the, the teachers unions to somehow force kids to become trans uh, which was ridiculous. Um, but we had, you know, I, I talked with both sides and I did, it was just very much like there's a lie on one side. There's a lie of that. This is happening now where I think it's, it gets dangerous is our government. And this is something we reflected on after the fact our government has not stepped up and said, this is not the case. There is no conspiracy in our school boards. Stephen Lecce, Minister of Education, should have been at the microphone since day one to say, this is not government policy. There is no conspiracy to convert any child into something that they are not. And that just doesn't happen. Like I, 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 Looking back on that whole situation, I am shocked at how silent the Progressive Conservative Party was on this matter. I mean, the, the fact that Stephen Lesh kind of flirted with it. He, he, when Saskatchewan and New Brunswick introduced legislation of their own to force uh, schools, t- teachers and administrators to out trans kids to their parents, despite that they may not wish it. The fact that Stephen Lesh was flirting with the idea and openly kind of, this, this language matters. And you can say, well, he didn't actually do it. He didn't bring it. It's like, no, he doesn't have to, because there's a reason why. And it, again, my prediction for the next year ahead is what we're we're going to get into. And it deals, it comes back to this. But it, it, to me, it was just screaming. It was telling. Why wasn't there an explicit denunciation? A, a, a No, this is not government policy. This is not going on in our school boards. You have been misinformed. You have been lied to. It never came. It never happened. Uh, to, we have, to denounce it would be to contradict his own leader, uh, in effect. You know, you got Doug up there on the platform at whatever event it was. I can't remember what event it was now. Basically, um, uh, 
basically saying, you know, yeah, there's all this crazy stuff going on with our teachers, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as it's been put to me, teachers were just like, you know, if they're trying to indoctrinate your children, just basic decent behavior would, would, would be what, what they all want uh, well, so they can get their de- through their day, you know? Um, well, the, we had the, the one episode, the follow-up episode to that, that uh, person March where we had on um, uh, student Jaden uh, from uh, a high school here in, in Burlington in the 905 who identifies as, as trans and to hear their perspective on on what's going on in our schools, kind of actually on the ground, was so, I, for me it was so enlightening. I mean, I've been out of high school for twenty years now. I'm, I'm twenty, thirty years. I'm, I'm removed. I am removed from that situation. And but to hear that, you know, a, a, a you you and I have said this a million times on this podcast. The next generation astounds us. They are so much more informed. They are so much more compassionate. They are so much more energetic and mobilized. It gives me a lot of hope that the next generation is going to be a lot. They, they will do a lot of great things when they come to power in this province and in this country. Uh, I'm convinced of it after speaking with so many of them. But yeah, it was just you know that. I guess that this brings brings us into the prediction aspect of of this episode and that's kind of what we're we're suspect is going to we're going to see happen in the in the not just the notified but the province for over the next few years and I, we're going to tie it back into the green belt um i suspect the housing file will continue to plague governments mostly because this prevent it will turn into this provincial government will need to take action now the plan that they wanted to put into play was the green belt they wanted to open that up and they thought that would solve their their woes it turns out that's no longer on the on the table what's going to happen now i don't know but i can't see a solution out of it without massive provincial money being invested into it in some way or another either through tax credits or through 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 um direct building investments something's going to have to give there's going to have to be some kind of action taken by the government it can't just be oh i'm going to remove the red tape and that's going to be the problem and that goes against Doug Ford and the conservative DNA. They, I can't see them doing it. It's just, it goes against what they want or what they believe fundamentally in their bones. So where does that leave the 905? Well, it leaves a lot of municipalities being shortchanged because of Bill 23, who are going to feel the pressure to meet the targets that they've all agreed to, but they're not going to have the money to pay for the needed infrastructure to accommodate those developments not to accommodate the transit that's going to be needed for all the more people living in the, in our cities and they're going to come to the province to say give us the money will the province fork it over who knows but i predict that's going to be a massive fight between the municipalities and the province in 2024 and 2025 is my my prediction which is going to lead to a fact that at some point the province is going to say, I don't want to spend the money. I don't want to fork it over. We see that they don't want to fork it over for healthcare. They don't want to fork it over for education. And that's going to lead to things just not working out for us. And rather than deal with another Greenbelt scandal, 
or, or whatnot, I think it'll come down to, it'd be easier for them to go to the trusted conservative playbook of, let's go pick on this group of people, namely trans kids. I think that they, they tiptoed around it in 2023 and they saw they could get away with it. I suspect we're going to see them going to that well or to that playbook and start using plays from there to divert attention away from other failures that they're they're going through, uh, especially in the housing file, as that in the affordability file, as that becomes more and more prevalent for people in the coming years. When they are inactive on that file, it's going to be easier to say, let's shore up the base. And how do we do that? Let's go plant a seed that there's some conspiracy in our schools to turn your kids trans or or trans kids are getting extra accommodation over yours or some other lie that's easy to sell to their base um and it and cause a disturbance that distracts the the media and the rest of us from i would argue more lasting damage that could be done to this province yeah um yeah i mean i i agree with those um uh Given your prediction last year, I'm certainly not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with what you ever you say, Joel. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not giving you Vegas odds here, but I'm just... <laughs> uh, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like uh, that. As right wing governments fail, um, if they're not already in the ideological camp, which increasingly that's their starting position, not their ending position. But in some ways, Doug Ford's government is more traditional conservative, and then it wasn't very ideological. Doug Ford is not a naturally ideological guy, but because his policies are failing in every way, you know, the, the green belt issue, um, that's the core of Doug Ford's government. If, if, you know, like each, each government, you can, can kind of pick a theme that is the premier's baby to an extent. If you look back in Dalton McGinty, he would have talked about education. Um, I think with Kathleen Wynne, you would have talked about transit and with Doug Ford, it's housing, um, and it's the core of that was you know going to open up, we're going to get rid of all this red tape, just let people build, 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 and that's going to fix everything. And it hasn't; it's utterly, utterly failed. Uh, and in the process, they got caught acting corruptly. Um, so, what's left now? What is Doug Ford's government if it isn't that? Uh, well, you know. Then you get into the desperation stakes. Okay, how do we shore up our base? Well, let's just attack, you know, the perceived enemies, uh, the people who are not actually enemies. You know, and these things don't create jobs. They don't help the economy. But they, 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 the only benefit of these kind of stories is that they keep governments in power. Um, so, yeah, I would predict more of that. Uh, I would predict more of it anyway because it's very much Polyev's playbook. Uh, it's really the only thing Polyev's got going for him, as far as I can see. Is well, not going for him, but you know that's his yeah. his politics is the politics of division. It's the politics of of hate, of dishonesty, and dividing Canadian against Canadian in a way that I haven't seen in a country that I've lived in before. I've seen it in other countries, obviously the one to our south. Um, but to see it sort of here on our doorsteps uh, troubles me greatly. Um, but yeah, I, Doug's going to go down that road because what else has he got? What else has he got? Um, I would say, I just want to, I, I think you're, we are correct in this and I, I'm willing to, to stake my, 
my claim to it uh, for 2024 and 2025. But I do want to put a big asterisk and a big caveat on that. And that is, it's not all doom and gloom because while I can picture our right-wing governments going down that road and wanting to play that card, I was also very much emboldened by the fact that in our schools, we saw ATFO and, and the various unions on the side of trans students. We, at those protests, we saw an equal number of activists, um, progressives coming out to defend trans rights. I am encouraged that we have two opposition parties, the NDP and the Ontario Liberals, three and as well as the Green Party, who are very much in pro-trans rights. And I think we'll be catering on that support to fuel their movement into the next election. Um, I, I think there's a number of organizations around the province who will keep the pressure on at the grassroots level, keep the pressure on our government to, to stay on, this, on the straight and narrow. I think you, we see organizations like Environmental Defense who are going to see, who are going to keep the pressure on to say, no, no, focus on the issues that matter protecting the green belt, sustainable development, building our cities uh, in the 905 to be uh, more more friendly to us. Um, I, I, so I don't think it's all necessarily doom and gloom. I think that, I think what I've seen in 2023 tells me that we have power. We have, we have weight in this fight. We are not helpless to it. And if you, if you, if you're seeing dark times ahead, folks, there might be, but look to the person and people next to you because we're all in this together and we outnumber, and I, I do believe we outnumber anybody who is, uh, who, who'd rather, who rather work in the darkness rather than, uh, work towards the light. There's a progressive majority in this country that always has been, and I hope there always will be, um, yeah, the, the the frustrating thing for me as I get increasingly grumpy and old is that that progressive majority does not uh, get itself organised to make sure that the minority minority uh, politics of division and selfishness and greed and corruption is never allowed near government um you know there's a simple answer to this um and that's cooperation between progressive parties to make sure that somehow or other even if you don't get everything that you want we don't all get what none of us want mm -hmm. <laughs> which is what our political system has delivered so often um so yeah, I mean, if I'm predicting for the next year, my prediction is a bit more gloomy. This is the gloomiest time in terms of hope that I've had in my life because it seems that every decision that is made is wrong. But you're right, we do have a massive majority. There's a story that no one's mentioned that really should be front page news. And there's the massive capitulation that the provincial government has just done with all the teachers' unions. There was talk all this year mm -hmm. that 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 industrial action was on the way that we were going to have more strikes um because it was presumed it's like the government's going to go after the teachers um it's going to you know 
Uh, and actually, they completely bailed on the whole thing. The, the teachers unions, you know, teachers are getting back pay for for income that they should have been earning over the last so so many years. They've just got paid out for the money that Dalton McGinty owed them like recently, and now Doug Ford's going to be paying them for the money that he owes them. Um, so, um, you know, Doug, the strong leader, um, once again, is not a strong leader. Um, I've always thought his government is very fragile. Someone, I can't remember who, it's annoying me, I can't remember who said it. The other day, someone was talking about, you know, how D Doug Ford is like the Teflon premier. I don't actually think he is. I mean, certainly the the, the, the Greenbelt story has stuck to him, stuck to him hard. Um, and he's always been very fragile when criticized. He will reverse at any moment, the minute he thinks he's getting unpopular. He's a weak leader. Um, the problem is that the leaders of the other parties are weak too, um, and I guess at least they now all have leaders, uh, and that's a question we have over the next year is, is whether that will make any difference, or whether it is actually down to not the opposition parties, but organisations like the unions, like Environmental Defence, like the Narwhal, uh, like in our little way us, uh, to hold governments to account um, in a way that our political processes just don't seem to. Mm -hmm. Well, I think on that note, let's uh, wrap up 2023 with um, at least a, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Happy Hanukkah, if that's what you celebrate. And you know what? Just look out for each other. If it just extend that helping hand to to your neighbor when whenever possible and we'll all get through this together because uh, we have to yeah so take care everyone we'll see you in the new year bye 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 that's it for this episode of the 905er thank you for listening as always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time.
Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favourite podcast app.